0: You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Well, good morning, everyone. Today, we have um, a member of our advisory network, Sandip Soli. Uh, He is going to be talking about Uh, pitfalls and traps you may find when you're entering into or extending your property leases. Um, Sondup is a member of our advisory network, uh, which means as a member, you get a 30-minute consultation complimentary a year. So if you are interested in talking to Sondup later on after this webinar, reach out to your territory manager and they can put you in touch with him. Um, We are recording today's webinar. It will be up on our website and our YouTube channel and our podcast channel later on this afternoon, along with the slideshow. So if you want to go back and refer to this, you are certainly welcome to do so. And if you have any questions during the presentation, go ahead and pop them into the Q&A at the bottom of your screen. And we will answer those live on air. Don't bother to wait until after the presentation. We will go ahead and ask questions while he's giving his presentation. So uh, let's get this started. Good morning, Sandip.
1: Good morning. Thank you. Uh... Again, this is Sandip Soli. I am a commercial real estate attorney based in Seattle uh, at a law firm called Real Property Law Group. Um, we've been around since 2001. We have uh, six attorneys on staff and paralegals. Uh, we've represented clients all across the country, um, some notable ones, including Nordstrom and some regional restaurant chains, um, as well as some landlords. So we see the other side of it, as well. Um, and so hopefully, you know, with our experience on both representing tenants and representing um, building owners or shopping center owners, we can help you get to uh, some middle ground with your landlords on, um, you know, how to enter into or extend an existing commercial real estate lease for your restaurant or um, some other um you know, property that you might have, maybe it's an office, Uh, maybe it's even a hotel. We've done ground leasing for hotels as well. Um, uh, And we wanna keep this interactive as mentioned. Um, I just don't wanna drone on. Um, Certainly if you've got a burning question on a topic, um, please go ahead and, you know, ask in the Q&A and and we can interrupt and, and address the question immediately as opposed to at the end. But certainly there's time at the end where we can answer questions. Um, before I get started, here's my contact information. Um, I'm currently in downtown Seattle, but uh, as mentioned, uh, I've got law partners uh, in other parts of the country, um, and um happy to communicate with you uh, wherever you are. Here's a roadmap of what we'll, we'll be talking about. Um, we only have about 50 minutes or so and you know each one of these topics we could go on for um, many minutes um, but I'll try to do an overview and if again if you've got a question that's more specific we can certainly dive into that question. Um, We're going to cover the key lease provisions today so not an entire lease and if you know some leases can be 80 to 100 pages long some some can be simpler and shorter but these are the main provisions that we typically talk about when we enter into a new lease and sometimes when we extend leases as well. Although with renewals or extensions, you're often just talking about rent and everything else typically remains the same. So uh, base rent, we'll be going into what constitutes base rent and other ways to compute rent, uh, uh, including uh, what we call a triple net costs or operating expenses. We'll also talk about percentage rent. Um, oh, I mentioned operating costs, real estate taxes, uh, your security deposit that most landlords require, um, unless you're probably a national presence, then you may get out of a security deposit, possibly. Um, utilities uh, and tenant improvement allowance to help you build out your restaurant or other space. So I will start first with rent. Um, you know, base rent, we, uh, I think most of us know what rent is, whether we've rented an apartment or have been leasing. Uh, restaurant space or other space for some time. Um, you know, this is your minimum rent that you're paying. This is a fixed rent that may increase over time, either with uh, a 3% bump, or maybe it's pre-negotiated what those bumps are annually, uh, or maybe it's subject to some sort of CPI index. But the basis of payment um, is typically due on the first of the month. Um, sometimes for some restaurant clients, we've been able to negotiate a grace period of five to 10 days until all the money comes in from the prior month um, and you're able to pay you know, all your other expenses and then pay rent. Not too many landlords are welcoming. Um, typically, they have their mortgages due on the first of the month, so they want their rent paid in into their bank account on the first of the month so they can pay their mortgage taxes and other things, um, insurance as well. So, Um, It's not usual that we can get a grace period, but sometimes we can. Um, Adjustments and offsets. Sometimes there will be offsets uh, to the rent that you have to pay. For example, um, maybe you've overpaid uh, in a prior year uh, operating expenses and there was a reconciliation from your landlord that came back and showed that you've overpaid and you should get some credit. Sometimes you can get credit against the rent that's next due. Sometimes it's only against the operating expenses that's next due. It's all a matter of negotiation as to what you can get in the lease language uh, to get that offset, um, which can be very valuable sometimes. We've seen during the pandemic and during um, off years that operating expenses that landlords budgeted actually went down uh, when building occupancy was lower than in past years. And so there have been credits um, that have come to tenants when operating expenses are actually below budget and you get a credit for what you've overpaid to the landlord. Um, Sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes the landlord comes back to you with a bill showing that their building expenses were actually beyond the budget that they expected and they're asking you to pay more. Um, That's a problem. And hopefully, um, you know, we can negotiate some sort of grace period or um, some sort of payment plan or maybe some cutoff um, that they can only come after you for the prior year but hopefully not uh, you know several prior years to that when they found out that they didn't bill you enough. Um, Taxes and penalties, um, typically uh, we see five percent penalties if you don't pay rent on time Um, and in addition to the five percent late charge we often see um, a one percent per month interest rate which is the default in Washington sometimes you can negotiate a lower interest rate with the landlord if you're late on rent but since the default in Washington is 12% which is probably the highest i've seen all over the country um a lot of landlords stick to that saying well if we didn't even talk about interest in our lease um you would be paying 1% per month under Washington law so why would we go any lower than that um so that's something that's up for negotiation as well but um you know, you kind of have to pick your battles and hopefully, um, you're not negotiating too many of these penalties or interest issues because then the landlord will probably question whether or not you can pay rent on time. Um, but it is something to negotiate when you negotiate a lease. That's really the only time you can raise these issues because once you sign it, it's, it's kind of set in stone and you're stuck with what you've negotiated. Um, the next, uh, Provision we often see in, uh, especially restaurant leasing, is percentage rent. Um, I see a question. I'll I'll get to that next when we talk about operating expenses. Um, Percentage rent, um, you may or may not have this in some of your leases, but a lot of landlords and restaurants do um, enter into leases that have percentage rent. Um, We saw a lot of this happen during the pandemic when restaurants couldn't pay the base rent, and in lieu of... The base rent they would pay percentage rent for a short term, um, and then in good times we often see uh, percentage rent added on top of uh, the base rent that you would pay. Um, typically, we want a break point. We don't want percentage rent right off, right off the bat. Uh, we want to hit some break point number. Sometimes it can be low, as low as the base rent number that you're paying per year to the landlord. Um, so you're paying the greater of basically base rent or percentage rent um but oftentimes it's a it's a formula, what we call the natural break point, and I don't know what's natural about it other than there's a formula. so oftentimes if for example your base if your percentage rent is six percent, what you'll do is you'll take the annual base rent and you're you'll divide it by six percent or whatever percentage you have to get to that number. And that is the break point. And only when you reach that break point in gross sales will you have to pay percentage rent, which typically is more at the the latter half of the year uh, for most restaurants um, closer to the holidays. Um, That's typically what I see. In terms of due dates, um, typically we have reporting from the uh, tenant to the uh, landlord every month. Um, Maybe it's just a matter of forwarding your retail sales reporting that you often do with the state of Washington monthly and you just forward that or something similar to that report to the landlord to provide them uh, documentation of what your gross sales were um, and then you would pay a percentage rent on that if you've reached a break point at that point. In the lease itself we'll often define what gross sales are um, and we may have exclusions for example for service charges tips, gratuities, credit card charges, things that are uh, that, that the restaurant's actually not taking in but actually paying out to others will try to exclude. Um, gift cards or gift certificates sometimes are debatable. Um, you know, are you, are you getting money in uh, when you sell the gift card or gift certificate or is that just money and trust held for later uh, for when the customer actually spends the money at it, you know, maybe at a different location, maybe it's not at this location. So that's something um, that gets debated in lease negotiations. Um, we talked about tenant reporting, typically it's monthly um, and typically it's some form of what you've already been providing to the state of Washington for your sales taxes. Um, in terms of audit rights, the landlord will want the at least the lace language to reflect that they have an opportunity to audit your, um, your books if they don't believe that you have been accurately reporting um, your gross sales. Um, hopefully, if you're just giving them exactly what you're giving the state of Washington, it shouldn't be an issue.
0: All right. Are you ready for your question?
1: Yeah, I've got a, I see the question here. Um, I'm just
0: Is there anything I can do when the global landlord hires a property management firm whose expensive as, expenses have doubled from the previous property management firm? My CAMs have doubled as a consequence.
1: Yeah, good question. So uh, so when you're talking about CAMs, you're talking about common area maintenance expenses, which often refer is referred to as operating costs or operating expenses in a lease. Um, so yeah, typically you would have, if you've negotiated this in your lease, audit rights um, to be able to look at the landlord's books and records to see what happened. Um, what I have seen when I see this from... Clients, tenant clients, is that a new landlord or a new property management company comes in and decides, oh, there's things that we could have billed that we didn't bill. Um, You know, why didn't we? You know, let's just bill it all through and frankly see what happens. And I will often look at the lease and I will look at the tenant audit rights in the lease and see, you know, what can we ask for? How far can we go back in asking for books and records from the landlord to confirm that what they're billing through is legitimate. Or not. Um, so, a lot of these uh, audit right provisions will may limit you to only the prior year. Um, typically, we try to not uh, have that limit because maybe they try to bill in more than the prior year, which which does happen. I mean, I've had landlord clients that failed to bill all the utilities through as they should have, and all of a sudden they're billing a tenant, you know, three years worth of, of utilities that they failed to provide, but. Um, it all depends on the language in the lease. If there was some cutoff in the lease that you can only go a year back, then uh, you can only go a year back. But if there isn't a cutoff, then it's somewhat debatable because the statute of limitations um, is much longer, typically six years on a written contract. Um, and so they conceivably could go back. And often there's language in a lease uh, that says the landlord hasn't waived their rights to seek payment for obligations that you know they failed to bill frankly earlier, which is you know very unfair to the tenant who gets blindsided by a bill that basically doubles um, the CAM charges as the question says here. Um, so hopefully there are audit rights where you can go in and um, ask for uh, an inspection or copies of landlord's books and records so you can actually confirm that those charges were legitimate or not. Um, I've got a lot of clients that do that either directly with their property managers in house or with accountants, um, outside accountants. Um, And sometimes there's some folks that will do it on a contingency fee basis. A lot of leases try to avoid that. Landlords don't like the accountants that do that on a contingency fee basis. They get a percentage of the savings that they get when they audit landlord's books. So you have to be careful about that language. You also have to be careful about language and leases that require you to hire a you know, big three accounting firm to do it, because that's going to be way too expensive. And that's basically a disincentive to actually auditing the landlord's books. So you have to be really careful about that language in your lease. Um, finally, if you don't have um, if you don't have the audit language in your lease and the landlord is not cooperating and providing transparency in their books that show these charges, and whether or not they're legitimate or not, then I suppose you could litigate. It's sort of the nuclear option, but you do have a right to, you know, seek out that information if they're not being cooperative. And if you have a reasonable basis to believe that they're charging things through that shouldn't be charged, then uh, you could litigate in court. Or um, if there's an arbitration clause in your lease, you could arbitrate and find out if that information is legitimate or not. Um, hopefully, I've answered your question. Um, happy to talk in further length. I think I've pretty much exhausted that one, though. I've got another uh, question here. It says, do you typically see audit rights in a lease that doesn't have a percentage rent clause? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Yeah, all the time. Um, they, I do see that. Um, I don't know... And I think you're talking about landlord's audit rights, because why would the landlord need to see the books of a tenant when they are not uh, providing percentage rent, when gross sales really shouldn't matter for a landlord because they're not paying percentage rent. So why would the landlord need to audit the tenant's books? Um, well, uh, the typical response we get from landlords and shopping centers is that they want to know the data. Maybe they want to know the data primarily for um, Seeing how healthy their shopping center is, um, whether it's a strip mall or a shopping mall or a mixed use building, they want to know how healthy the tenants are. And that helps them, uh, they say, in financing. It helps them if they go to sell the building to show in gross numbers, you know, what kind of sales this building generates. Um, that's typically what landlords will say they need those audit rights for. Um, the other reason also is to know how healthy their tenants are in terms of their business and how likely or unlikely it is they will stay in business and continue to pay rent. Um, you know, and another reason is, you know, how credit their tenants are. So those are the type of reasons we usually hear from our landlords as to why they need to have audit rights and continue to get financial statements from tenants, even though there's not percentage rent, is because they really want to see how healthy their um, their tenants are in their buildings. So they can then, you know, that helps them, I guess, in either financing or determine how creditworthy their tenants are. Um, in terms of getting back to topic on the operating costs, oftentimes there's a definition of what's included and what's not included. What are the exclusions? Um, we often try to negotiate out capital expenses. We want to make sure that the landlords are not passing through capital improvement expenses to the tenants. And if they are, it's amortized on a reasonable basis in accordance with general, generally accepted accounting principles. Um, if they're trying to pass through, you know, that brand new elevator they installed or escalator or any other, you know, major upgrades, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see that pass through the tenants. We wanna make sure that that that's the landlord's decision to make those improvements. They should take on those expenses. And sometimes we have to meet on a middle ground and have those costs amortized over the useful life of that, um, of that capital improvement. For example, a roof or something like that, You know, maybe that gets amortized over 30 years. So the tenants that are currently there don't take on uh, all the costs, but the tenants over time take on those costs. Um, those are the types of things we try to negotiate out. There's a whole laundry list of other things we try to negotiate out. Um, sometimes you don't have to negotiate the specifics if you can get an overall cap on year-to-year increases in CAMs and operating expenses. For example, on the um, on the question that was first presented to us today from um, an attendee on the fact that the landlord or the new property manager doubled the CAM charges uh, the following year, if we can get a cap on that, that would be a really good solution um, to the problem. Um, typically, we try to negotiate a five percent cap year to year. Um, that might be harder these days with how inflation has been during the pandemic. At you know seven, almost eight percent, it might be able, might be hard to get a landlord to uh, agree to, you know, a five percent year to year cap on increases in operating expenses and CAMs. But that's what we aim for. Sometimes there's this little nuance about whether or not it's a five percent flat. Cap year to year, or if it's cumulative, which means on average, and that might be a little bit um, easier for a landlord to swallow. That if it's cumulative on average, your your operating expenses are not going to increase by beyond five percent per year. Um, so sometimes it might go up to seven, like we've seen in the last couple of years. Sometimes it might go down to three uh, increases per year, or sometimes it might even be flat because there weren't there wasn't a lot of occupancy and maintenance costs were down that year so um, we tried to uh, cut to the chase and try to get some sort of percentage cap year to year on those increases, and that kind of helps a lot of these different issues so you don't run into hopefully a doubling of operating costs or cams you know within a year that's fairly extreme but if you had that five percent cap you wouldn't run into that You might not have to audit the landlord's books to make sure they're not passing things in through. You might not have to worry about them passing through that new elevator cost if you have a a cap. Um, And we've even seen fixed CAMs um, from some landlords, which is really nice. It really um, kind of expedites the lease negotiations because we're not concentrating so much on operating costs, which is where we spend a lot of our time in negotiating leases. Um, the next issue is real estate taxes. This is something that's really difficult to to negotiate because typically in a in a commercial lease, the landlords want to pass through um, their real estate taxes. Sometimes you might be able to get uh, what we call a fixed um, a fixed rent or gross lease that includes real estate taxes that the landlord, you know, is taking the risk that. That that the rent may or may not cover all the taxes that get increased over time, but I would say 90, 95 percent of the time we're seeing leases with the landlords are passing through the real estate taxes to the tenants on a pro rata basis, um, and it's really hard to to get out of that. Um, you can define them, um, but it's really the it's really the um, the real estate taxes that are due twice a year that's that's getting passed through. Sometimes we want to exclude. Um, other fees that government entities may charge that are assessments. You know, for example, local improvement districts. You know, if there's uh, road work or traffic impact fees, something that's unusual and not an uh, annual tax, but uh, one or two time assessment. Uh, we want to get out of those. We don't want those surprises, and so we try to negotiate exclusions for those if we can. Sometimes that's hard to do in certain urban areas because we're seeing a lot of traffic impact fees and other things you know, happen in urban areas and those get passed through the tenants. But if we can try to get out of those, that's helpful for the tenants to predict um, the occupancy costs. Um, I've had some, very few actually tenants actually negotiate a cap on increases in real estate taxes um, because oftentimes that relates to when, um, a landlord is able to sell a, for example, a fully leased building or shopping center at a premium. Um, and then that new price ends up being the value of the real estate. And that in turn increases the real estate taxes to all the tenants. Um, a handful of times we've been successful in negotiating caps on how many times a landlord can do that to the tenants and try to, um, Put that back on the landlord that that's you know that's not really fair that you know you get to sell this building uh, at a high valuation when we all know you know the valuations kind of go up and down depending on the economy um, but then we're stuck with paying these real estate taxes based on the valuation from you know X years ago and so we tried to um, put a cap on that it's again only a handful of times we've had landlords agree to that um, and then the right to challenge uh, real estate taxes. I suppose, um, you know, you could write that in there. Um, for the most part, we see leases where the, where the landlord has the right to challenge a valuation by the county. Um, and uh, typically they're doing that on behalf of all tenants and themselves to try to keep those taxes down lower. And maybe there's some language we can encourage the landlord to do that instead of just passing through the landlord taxes. We do have an open question here based on the last topic. Um, what is CAM? CAM is... uh uh, short for common area maintenance and so um you know if you're in a shopping center or mall um or even a mixed-use building uh that has retail on the bottom but office or residential uh on the upper floors um cam is going to be the common area so you know the elevators the stairs the hallways the corridors the sidewalks snow removal um you know the parking lot parking garage All the common area costs uh, of maintaining uh, that building or group of buildings or the property, landscaping, um, Christmas lights, you know, all that stuff are common area expenses or common area maintenance. Um, Most most leases nowadays just refer to them as operating expenses because it's a much broader category than just common areas. Sometimes because sometimes there's um, there's repairs that happen to get passed through. There's janitorial um, that gets passed through in the janitorial may not necessarily be in the common area. Maybe the, the landlord is doing janitorial for everybody. Um, that's typically office as opposed to, you know, restaurants, um, or retail. So that's what cam is. Um, I'll move on to the next topic. If there are no more questions, security deposits amounts. Um, so, uh, as you probably know, a security deposit, uh, is often for most of our clients going to be about equivalent to the last month's rent. Um, typically, when you sign a lease, you're going to be signing uh, uh, and, and putting your money down as security, so the landlord knows you're actually going to show up on day one and not uh, and off like out and not show up, and then you they've got a lease without a tenant. Um, and so oftentimes we see the security deposit equal to the last month's rent at the la- at the end of the term, whether it's at the end of five years or 10 years or whatever the end of the term is, whatever that last month calculated is, is usually the amount of security deposit. Um, for, for folks that are new, um, new businesses, there's a possibility that the landlord may ask for more, um, maybe three months, maybe four months, um, because uh, it's a new business and the landlord is not sure of... You know what kind of wherewithal this business as a new one is going to have and so sometimes we see higher security deposits sometimes it's a trade-off with um, uh, personal guarantees or parent guarantees by other companies or uh, uh, lines of credit so there's other ways to get that security deposit number down um, and as I, as I mentioned at the top of this conversation, um, a lot of national and regional tenants that we have don't have to pay security deposits at all because they have, uh, you know, a business that has been around for decades. Um, everyone knows them as a household name, and so landlords really do want them to open up shop in their buildings, and they're not asking for a security deposit. They're just asking for a signature and uh, and showing up on day one. Um, sometimes there's prepaid rent for the first month rent. Um, That's often asked. Sometimes that only gets paid, you know, when the tenant gets the keys and takes possession. Um, Is interest earned on security deposit? It's pretty rare, but if it's a significant amount, that's up for negotiation with landlords who gets to keep the interest on security deposits. The security deposit is there for the entire lease term perhaps. So does the landlord make interest off of that? Or does the tenant get some of that? Typically it's the landlord, but you can ask. Uh, to negotiate that issue. Earn out and reduction. Sometimes we'll see, um, you know, if you're midway through the lease and you haven't had any problems, no defaults, no violations of the, re- of the lease, you can negotiate an earn out or reduction in security deposit and get some of that money back, have some of it apply to rent because you've been a good tenant. And so why should the landlord have to hold on to this money for that long? I definitely had my share of clients that say, you know, we've got so many locations and to have all that money sitting out there for five to ten years is just it's just way too long. We need some of that money back. Um, And so that's something to ask for at the at the start of a uh, of a lease negotiation and or a renewal, frankly, if you're doing a renewal and you've been a good tenant for five to ten years, you know, let's talk about why you need the security deposit still. Um, you know, if it's just to pay for repairs when we exit, then, you know, what is a reasonable amount to have there versus the full amount? Um, the other uh, issue is the right to access or replenish the security deposit by the landlord. Um, if the landlord does need to dip into that security deposit, there's always language that says the tenant needs to, um, you know, replenish and replace that security deposit that the landlord has used. I've got a question here. It says, if a tenant is reluctant to provide a personal guarantee, for example, the tenant is an LLC with few assets, what do you recommend as an alternative way of assuring that rent will ultimately be paid? Um, You know, there's a couple different ways. Um, You know, there's line of credits, which, um, you know, comes with, uh, you know, uh, fees and interest from the bank that you get a line of credit from. But that has been one way that we've been able to accomplish what the landlord needs in terms of security of payment of rent but not providing a personal guarantee. Um, Some of our larger clients will go that route. They don't want to give out a security deposit. They want to give out a personal guarantee but they will get a line of credit and pay the bank that interest rate to give a line of credit to um, or or, I I said line of credit. What I meant was letter of credit. Give a letter of credit to the um, landlord so if for some reason the tenant can't pay rent the landlord, after sending a notice of default and not getting paid can go to the bank on this letter of credit and get paid that rent that's owed. That's one solution. Um, another solution to a personal guarantee is what we often call a parent or corporate guarantee. So maybe there's another company in the tenant's portfolio that can give that guarantee. Uh, you know, Maybe there's multiple locations. And so maybe one, another LLC or corporation can guarantee, uh, the lease obligations for another location that's under a different LLC. Often our clients, uh, the, sm- the, sm- the larger ones um, will basically assign all the leases under their corporate name. Usually those are public companies. Um, the smaller clients will typically have a separate LLC for each and every location to, um, to limit the liability of that location to just that LLC. And so oftentimes we will have You know, the parent or another LLC within the portfolio guarantee um, the lease or rent payments if that LLC's balance sheet or financials don't assure rent payments to the landlord. Got another question here. In a lease renewal, do you see TI money coming up? If it is an old building that is in need of repair, question mark, if the landlord is trying to update to current market rent, but the building is in need of large repairs, would you see either an inclusion of TI funds or trying to reduce rent? Okay, excellent uh, question. Before I get to that, let me go to that slide. Uh, And before I go to that, I've got a question, a follow-up on the letter of credit. Uh, Here's the question. Do you have a ballpark cost of the letter of credit approach in lieu of a personal guarantee? I'm sorry, I don't. You'd have to go to your bank. That's really a banking relationship. Um, you know, I've got percentages in my head as to what that would be, but you know, just kind of think of it, a loan with an interest rate. What are the interest rates right now? I mean, it's going to be above prime. You know, what's the prime interest rate about right now, and how much would a bank, name any bank, charge above that prime interest? Um, you'd probably, um, you'd probably get an idea of that by by calling your your local banker. I would imagine the the smaller community banks or hopefully more flexible on that rate than the larger ones, Um, but that's definitely a banking question and they're all over the place. Again, uh, some of my larger clients do like to get a line of credit or letter of credit uh, to give to a landlord in lieu of personal guarantee. I I don't see too many of my smaller clients going that route, probably because of the cost. Um, So there you go, that's that. Uh, Let me go to the TI question here. I'm gonna go to the TI slide here. Tenant improvement allowance, so a a, a TI or tenant improvement allowance is typically provided at um, the beginning of a lease, Um, but on a renewal, as the question asks, is that possible? Yes, it is, because typically uh, when a landlord agrees to provide a tenant improvement allowance to allow you to use those funds and basically loan you those funds for uh, improving the place that is in need of repairs or upgrades or refresh. Um, they, the landlord is going to calculate repayment of those funds in the rental rate. And so that's something up for negotiation. So, for example, you know, even if the rent is relatively low at the moment, just coming out of the pandemic and landlords are in need of tenants to fill their empty spaces, uh, base rents right now are seen at a, you know, fairly historical low point um, in the last 20 years from what I've seen. But I have had some clients that asked the landlord for that TI allowance and that money to upgrade a place to turn it from you know, what wasn't restaurant space into restaurant space or to a space that didn't have a kitchen to a space that now needs a kitchen and a hood and maybe even a scrubber. Um, so there's a lot of costs involved. And landlords are willing to provide uh, that financing in the form of a tenant improvement allowance you know x dollars per square foot of space that you rent, but they're expecting to get paid back that over time over the over the term of the lease, whether it's five or ten years. And they're going to roll that amortization of that repayment in the rent. So even if you could uh, rent space right now between twenty to thirty dollars a square foot, if you're asking for a million dollars in tenant improvement allowance, you're now looking at paying probably a lot more rent to pay back that tenant improvement allowance on renewal or otherwise. So um, certainly uh, you could ask for it, you can negotiate it, and hopefully the landlord is amenable to providing that financing for you uh, if you're willing to pay back that tenant improvement allowance over the term of the loan. That does bring up uh, the issue of Personal guarantees and all that stuff again, because um, the landlord wants to make sure they get paid back. And so you, they, may, you may be looking at a personal guarantee, or like we said earlier, a letter of credit, some way of making sure that the landlord gets paid back that amount of money that they're essentially loaning you to upgrade uh, the space. Now, uh, tenants will often argue that, listen, you know, this place is outdated, just like the question implies. You know, the space needs to get repaired and. And and improved anyways uh, to attract a new tenant. So you know how much of this do you know? Do you really need to get paid back, or are these essential upgrades that you need to do? Sometimes you may want to just put that on the landlord. Um, sometimes you may want to say, listen, you know, this is stuff uh, to bring the place up to code um, at a bare minimum. This is stuff you should you should have to do. So um, to have me you know pay you back for all this stuff doesn't seem quite fair. So that's up for negotiation. In terms of how much um, your rent is going to increase to pay some of that money back. Um, You know, one thing that uh, on a tenant improvement allowance you're going to have to run into uh, is what types of hoops you have to jump through to get that money dispersed. Is that money that the landlord is going to just write a blank check? No, absolutely not. They're going to want, you know, about five or six different things before they cut that check to you. They're going to want you know, lien waivers from your contractor and subcontractors to make sure that you are paying them and uh, and, and they're not going to file liens against the building or the buildings. Um, they're going to want uh, some assurance that the money went to what you said it was going to go to and not in your pocket or something else. Uh, and they're going for real estate improvements, not to ff necessarily. Um so you're gonna have to show proof of you know spending the money on things that actually improve this space and not some other space or something else or personal property or furniture or anything like that that that's actually going to improving the building and so you're gonna have to show uh evidence and receipts that the money went to uh improving the space you're gonna have to show lien waivers that these people um Contractors, subcontractors uh, either got paid or expecting to get paid and will not file liens if they get paid. Um, you'll have to show probably you know, permits. Um, if a certificate of occupancy or certain inspections are required, you're gonna have to show passing those or issuance of those permits or certificate of occupancies. Um, there's a whole bunch of other hoops you may have to jump through. And those are up subject to negotiation too, typically the landlords in a lease that they give you will have a laundry list of things and you'll have to make sure you can hit every one of those. And if you can't, then, you know, you're gonna have to negotiate for a more reasonable list of things before you get that money. Um, The one thing you should look out for is a deadline or expiration date on getting that money. Sometimes I'll see leases where landlords say, well, if you don't jump through all these hoops within 180 days of signing the lease, I'm not going to give you The tenant improvement allowance, well, 180 days is not very much time, especially when you consider how long it takes to get a permit these days. And so you're going to want to look for that language buried in the lease. Make sure you have, I would say, at least a year to get everything done. Because even if you can build out the space in 180 days and and get your permit and build out the space, there's a lot of those hoops, like I said, you have to jump through uh, and get all the paperwork together to submit to the landlord to actually get the tenant improvement allowance. Um, you can also negotiate not just one payment at the end of um, at the end of doing your work. Perhaps you can negotiate uh, at the best monthly payments, so you don't have to go out of pocket with your contractor too much. That you can actually get money right away from the landlord and pay your contractor right away each month. That's pretty rare. Sometimes the landlords will do it, you know, at thirty percent completion, sixty percent completion, and then final completion. So they'll divide it in thirds. Um, unfortunately, there are some landlords that require you to do everything and then they'll pay you at the end, but I would do your best to negotiate out of that one. Cause that's a lot of money out of your pocket before you get reimbursed by the landlord for your tenant improvements. Okay. I think we, uh, skipped over, uh, utilities. Uh, that's one thing, uh, that comes up, uh, believe it or not, um, you know, is the landlord providing the utilities or more likely than not, is it a uh, third party utility company? You know, how, uh, how much right does the tenant have to use their own provider? Probably not much. You're probably in a city or county or neighborhood where there are a limited number of utility providers for electricity, water, gas, you know, uh, communications, internet, um you're probably stuck with those folks, but uh, these these do come up because um, you know certain clients have um, more favorable relationship with some utility providers versus others or bad experiences. um you know, especially when it comes to you know telecommunications and internet, you know what uh, what facilities can you use um, for that? And then um, you know, how are these things being um, billed? Are they being billed directly to the tenant or are they billed, being billed to the landlord and the landlord passes on those costs to the tenants? Are there meters or is it a rough math? Is there a proportion? Are you paying based on square footage compared to other tenants in the building? Um, if you're the only tenant, you're paying 100%. Um, if there are no meters, you know how is this how is this calculation even reasonable? Are they allocating more to you than is fair? I mean, these are things to really consider because those can be large bills, right? And especially if, like we talked about earlier in this um, webinar, if the landlord fails to bill you for several months or years, and then all of a sudden it hits you with a big bill of utilities that they failed to, to bill you with, but they calculated later that they actually should have received this from you earlier. And this run, unfortunately, this happens all the time. Um, more often than not, uh, well maybe not more often than not but I've actually had several clients including one recently where this has happened to them in two different locations and landlords are asking for more money that they failed to bill earlier and now uh, you know our tenant clients are scrambling to figure out well you know why didn't you bill us for this stuff earlier um, you know what can we do is there anything in the lease that cuts off the landlord trying to collect this stuff Um, you know, months or years later. And sometimes we'll find that language in lease. sometimes we won't. So I think it is important probably to, as a tenant anyway, to insert some language to say, okay, you know, after a year of looking at your books and reconciling what the costs are, you shouldn't have to, you know, you shouldn't have the right to come after us for anything, you know, a year prior, you know, prior to a year. That seems pretty unfair and it's going to add up quite a bit. Um, And then finally, uh, on the utilities part, you know, consider what happens if um, something happens to the water and you don't have water service for several days or weeks. You know, whose risk is that? Oftentimes, the lease, believe it or not, will put the risk on the tenant, even though the landlord may or may not be in control of supplying the water or the electricity, for example. I've definitely had several clients who have had electricity cut off to uh, their space or the entire building, and they couldn't operate, and they're out of business for two, three days, maybe a week. That's a lot of business that they've lost. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, even after writing letters to the landlord saying, you know, they're in breach, and, you know, they need to make up for this, and they're, they're, you know, they're going to owe damages, um, it usually comes down to business interruption insurance. Hopefully, your business has um, commercial general liability insurance, and with that, business interruption insurance, which will cover um, your lost revenues for that amount of time that the water electricity was shut down, for usually construction reasons is what I've seen. Somebody uh, trips a wire and that shuts down the electricity until it can get repaired. Um, somebody does something in the pipes and uh, there's a water leakage and there's a major repiping that needs to happen, um, and that takes a couple days and you're out of business during that time. Typically, the the quickest remedy is to go to your insurance company and ask for. Uh, your business interruption insurance coverage to kick in and cover those lost revenues during that time period versus trying to send letters to the landlord and getting them to pay pretty unlikely unfortunately um, because there's usually language in the lease that puts that uh, on the tenant Uh, and if you want to negotiate that in your lease you can Um, but again uh, lessons learned uh, business interruption insurance is usually the answer for that that type of loss um okay conclusions uh i'm sort of at the end here and we can have more time for questions after this um so you're negotiating a lease or or negotiating a renewal of a lease you know what kind of uh things do you negotiate what kind of changes to the lease are acceptable um typically you'll have uh before you get the you know 30 50 80 100 page lease to so to, to read through over a weekend, um, typically you'll have a two or three page deal sheet or term sheet or letter of intent, LOI we call it. Um, and that will negotiate the big number of deals, You deals, know, what the rent is going to be, how long is the term or renewal term going to be, whether or not you get a tenant improvement allowance, what kind of year to year cap you may have on operating expenses or CAMS, common area maintenance expenses. Um, you know what your estimated real estate taxes will be what your um other costs that the landlord might pass through, whether it's utilities or insurance premiums or whatever, get a sense of the numbers um in addition to you know some of the things you may you may ask that we don't that we didn't cover today, for example, an exclusive maybe you have an exclusive on a certain type of cuisine and and the landlord you know you don't want the landlord to lease to any other uh company or competitor uh, that same type of cuisine. You should have exclusive on that and other people will do you know, other types of cuisine or other types of businesses, um, if you're a retailer, for example. Um, these are the types of things that should be on a term sheet or letter of intent. Uh, so you can negotiate those business points upfront, uh, whether it's a new lease or a renewal, and then uh, you can make sure that the lease it flows through to the to the actual lease document that'll be binding that you sign. Um, again, distinguishing acceptable from unacceptable changes. You know, uh, in my mind, if if the letter of intent or term sheet says, you know, ten different points, the lease better reflect those things. But uh, believe it or not, I would say eighty percent of the time, the lease doesn't reflect hundred percent of the term sheet or letter of intent and you have to make efforts to make sure it does reflect exactly what the business points are. Um, Beyond that, it probably takes an experienced negotiator and leases or an attorney to distinguish what are acceptable or unacceptable changes. Like I said, our law firm has represented lots of different tenants over the years, as well as landlords, so we kind of have a sense of what the middle ground is on acceptable and unacceptable changes, you know, what's typical. And those are the types of things you should be able to negotiate um, and you know we do have experience with certain landlords that we know are own, aren't aren't willing to go through protracted lease negotiations, and maybe you can only uh, you know raise your top ten issues or uh, certain major issues, but not get into the weeds on certain clauses later in the lease um, because they don't want to really change their change their lease for you when they have it pretty uniform for everybody in their shopping center or their shopping mall um and so we kind of know you know there's certain things you can ask for and certain things that you can't um but certainly you know if you're not using an attorney um the letter of intent or deal sheet or term sheet is is definitely a map of what you can use to determine what you can negotiate in the lease or not deal breakers um you know again if if someone's reneging whether it's the landlord or a tenant on an issue that was already already negotiated in a letter of intent then that could be a deal breaker not always i mean it'll happen sometimes people will will agree to a term sheet and whether or not they sign it it's non binding um it's just the start of a negotiation and after further thought and consideration and talking with your team you may decide that 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 term that you negotiated in the letter of intent or term sheet doesn't work for you anymore and same thing on the landlord side they may go back and say oh you know actually we talked to our entire team and know we got to tweak this we got to that or we frankly we just can't agree to that anymore because because we've already agreed to something else with someone else and that will be a breach of that contract so unfortunately we can't give you that thing that we gave you in that letter of intent but you know hopefully there's another thing we can give you that'll make up for the fact that we couldn't give you that that concession Um, so deal breakers um you know again if someone's not going to adhere to the letter of intent maybe that's a deal breaker maybe it's not I've certainly run into certain deal breakers with some of my restaurant clients where um, you know, maybe the the cost to renovate a space was gonna be too much. It usually comes down to a dollar issue. Um, and if the landlord's not willing to meet you halfway or to make the space more amenable for a restaurant, which wasn't a restaurant before, um, and the cost is gonna be too great that they're putting on you to, to convert the space for a restaurant space, and that could be a deal breaker um it just seems like construction costs just keep getting higher and higher not lower right and so um if you if you can't make it penciled then that might be a reason to walk away because that's a, a really big investment you're making into converting a space into restaurant space or upgrading a space that's not quite modernized mm-hmm. for a restaurant or some other use that you're trying to make out of it and it's not going to pencil it might behoove you to to look at multiple spaces, even if you're looking at a renewal and you don't really want to leave the space, everyone, all your customers know where you are. Um, If it's going to be too expensive to stay in that space, if it's going to be too expensive to keep up with the repairs, you may consider moving. So it's always good to keep other options open, um, have comparables, you know, even if you're renewing, have comparables of, you know, two or three other spaces that might fit the bill. So you can compare how much is going to cost to either stay in a space or look at a certain space versus going to another space and kind of weigh the pros and cons financially or otherwise as to whether or not you should be in that space. Now, those would be probably the deal breakers financially more than anything. All right. I think we've reached the end of our presentation. There's still time for some questions and answers. Um, do we have any more questions um, from the audience?
0: While we're waiting for those, um, just a reminder again, Sandeep is a member of the advisory network with the Washington Hospitality Association. As members, you are entitled to a, to a 30 minute consultation. And we have all kinds of experts on the advisory network from Rick Braff or financial services, Sandeep with real estate. We have the team from Fisher Phillips. We have HR solutions, um, all things HR with Susie Sterholm. She's excellent. If you are in need of a consultation with any one of these experts, please reach out to your territory manager. And it doesn't look like we have any more questions. So, Sandi, thank you so much for doing this today. It's a lot of helpful information.
1: You're welcome.
0: All right. And thank you again to the audience. We really appreciate you coming to these webinars over the years.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Have a good week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.